Hey, hello, and welcome to episode three of Oh Boy, the podcast presented by Man Repeller. I'd like to start out by saying thank you for all the positive response to the first two episodes. I think I speak on behalf of all the folks at Man Repeller that we are overwhelmed by your appreciation and support. It means a lot, so thank you for getting down with us uh, right out the gate. Today's guest is the writer and editor, Amy O'Dell. Amy was the first blogger at The Cut, New York Mag's fashion blog, and is now the editor of Cosmopolitan.com. She has a new book out entitled Tales from the Back Row, and it's a great breakdown and guide to how the fashion world operates as told through Amy's interactions with all the ins and outs of how things actually work. I really enjoyed talking with Amy, so let's get into our conversation now. Fashion week is like tomorrow. I can't only want to talk about it. I'm going to have chills. We can all go there. They're not chills. Chills is the wrong word. Just like douche chills. Why does it it give people such anxiety? Because I feel the same way. I'm like, oh my God, it's fashion week. But in reality, it's like, okay, I'm like... Getting a packet of Fashion Week invites delivered to my desk every night, and then the next morning I'm going and sitting at fashion shows, and that's, like, so fun. So why do we freak out about it? When I had to cover Fashion Week, I had to make 21 videos in seven days, shooting, editing, producing, and uploading those videos. You know, I had a team of a couple people working with me, but it was a pretty, like, nightmarish time. It's just, like, it's, it, it, it drains your energy. Like de- depletes yeah, your soul. Yeah, it is tiring. You know, but you know, think the internet. Hashtag internet. Just have. I mean, just having to, you know, run around when people are just, you know, everybody's just asking everybody the same question. Like, you know, backstage, like, what was your inspiration for this eye, your eye makeup for this? And it's just like these long-winded stories. I remember just like these yeah. robots repeating their, you know, yeah. on both sides. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I remember covering a show. I went backstage. It was a major show, and it was a celebrity hairstylist, and it was like a throng of reporters around him um, asking about the hair. And he was like, <laughs> he was so sick of it. Yeah. And it's like New York is the first of three of the you know four cities. Oh yeah. But this guy was so sick of it, and he's like, you know, it's like the same shit we did yesterday. He just didn't care. <laughs> he broke. And then he, turned he just ar- finally yeah, broke. He yeah, turned yeah. around and he went back to doing hair. Where did you grow up? Are we starting now? Yeah. Okay. I grew up in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. And you spent your entire life there? I lived there. Yeah, I grew up there, born and raised until I was 18. And then I moved to New York to go to NYU. And you, all your folks and family are from Austin? My parents are both from New York. So how did they end up in Austin? My father was a professor at UT Austin. What was your experience growing up in Austin like? I miss it so much. Growing up was awesome in Austin. And I went to a very competitive high school. What do you mean very, by that? Very, very hard. Well, everyone there was very smart. And everyone there took as many adva- advanced placement courses as possible. High school was harder than college for me. Would you consider Austin an ideal place to grow up? I Yeah, I loved Austin. I would go back... I would live there if I could move Cosmo there. (laughs) I would totally live there. It's my favorite city. I love it. How did it shape who you are? Well, you know, I talk about this in the book, but growing up in Austin, Austin is such a casual place. Mm -hmm. 
there's no fashion in Austin. No one yeah. really gets dressed up in Austin. Like the idea of street style means nothing in Austin. And, you know, I think that people do street style at South by Southwest mm-hmm. now. Um, but when I was growing up, there was no kind of scene like that whatsoever. And I remember when Uggs were really popular, I would go home and I would go downtown where UT is, UT Austin, and I would see these college students walking around in shorts and Uggs, which makes no sense to anyone who's like been in winter and had to wear Uggs or been in snow and that you wear them because you can't walk anymore. It's like, why would you choose to wear Uggs in 80 degree heat? I, I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, idea. aside from the fact that, you know, people, a lot of people have strong feelings about Uggs. Do people look down on people wearing Uggs? Because that is, is that well, a thing where you're choosing comfort I think I over fashion? Of, is that what the thing is with Uggs? I, I don't know. I think I, I made fun of them a lot when I was at the cut and all kinds of Uggs came out that were like bedazzled. Mm, that's too much. In really special, yeah. special ways. Because it's an aggressive shoe. <laughs> How you know, is it's an like aggressive when you, shoe? Well, when you enter the room with Uggs, you enter Uggs first, I think. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. What kind of kid were you growing up? What kind of kid was I? I was very shy. I was very studious. I was really, I just wanted to succeed. Mm -hmm. Um, Succeed at what? Whatever I was doing. I mean, it was school at the time. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think. Growing up stories. I've I've surely put the best stuff in my book. But um, (laughs) I remember when I was a kid, um, probably my first interest in fashion that I felt very passionately in my soul uh, I went to the kids' shoe store that I got all my shoes at, mm-hmm. and they had shoes that were covered entirely in glitter. I wanted them so badly, and that was like all I could think about was just, just getting, getting these glitter shoes. shoes. And my parents, you know, I talk about how I'm not really a fashion person, and I still don't feel like a fashion person, even though I feel like I'm a member of the industry in a way, and I really understand it in a way that you don't unless you've worked in it for a while. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But my parents are really like needs-based people. Like, don't buy it if you don't need it. And I what were those shoes going to do for you? I just thought they in were the mind. greatest shoes ever. When yeah. I was a little girl, I loved to dress up in um, like dresses and tights and like patent leather shoes like every single day. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just thought these were the best shoes because they're covered in glitter. And I still think that the best things are covered in glitter. So that hasn't changed. Were your parents supportive of you growing up? Did they have a plan of what they wanted you oh, to yeah, do? Oh, yeah. My parents were awesome. They never pushed me. I pushed myself entirely. Um, and everything I did was my decision about what I wanted to do. They didn't push me in one direction or the other. And I think it's unfortunate, you know, a lot of kids, I think, feel a lot of pressure from their parents. Mm -hmm. Um, but that wasn't the case. And I, I don't know why, but I've just always been really, really driven to succeed. And I've never felt like I've succeeded, which I think is a mentality that a lot of successful people have just based on what I've read about what makes people successful. And in my experience, talking to people who are successful, they never feel like they've finished what it is that they're trying to do. Sure. But where do you think that comes from? I don't know. Um, I think it's a little bit of insanity. Mm -hmm. I think I'm kind of crazy. If my mission is to edit cosmopolitan.com and grow the traffic, then I am just laser fixated on whatever number we're trying to hit. And, um, looking at the site obsessively when I get home at night and trying to figure out how can we do better the next day? What went well? What can we do better tomorrow? It's just my resting state to be anxious (laughs) and always want something to be better. When you were growing up, how did you spend your time? So 
I actually spent a lot of time studying. As I've said, that's so boring. <laughs> I if that's read, what you did, I mean, it's not boring. I read magazines. It seems boring when you're doing it. I mean, I don't know. Um, Were you happy doing you, it, though? I assume you'll have. Yeah, I was. Well, I that's think all I that matters, it. then. I assume, I assume you have a lot of young women who will be listening to this. And um, studying seems lame, but it's actually super cool when you're older. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent a lot of time on school. I played music. I played both the flute and the piano. Ooh, okay. Um, I played piano for 10 years. I have one in my apartment now. Can you an, still play? An electric one. I can still play. Now that my book is out, I might take up lessons again. Mm-hmm. Was there an awkward time? An awkward time. Well, I talk in the book about how I'm awkward and mm-hmm. how growing up I felt really awkward. I mean, who doesn't feel awkward I in don't high know. school? Like if you Sociopaths, don't feel, maybe? Maybe. But if you don't feel awkward in high school, if those are the best years of your life, I almost feel sorry for you because that's like such a small oh, completely. part completely. of your life. Lot- and you only really see that when you gain perspective on it as an older person. I was really shy growing up, and I feel like that's important to talk about because I still consider myself to be shy. And I think that it's something that you have to learn to manage or deal with if you want to progress in any career or be in a position of management, which Mm -hmm. I am very fortunate to be in now at Cosmo. Were there people that you emulated growing up or people that you looked up to? Absolutely. Um, I looked up to a lot of people. I mean, Candace Bushnell Mm -hmm. is is one of my, if not my favorite writer. Um, Sex and the City was on HBO when I was in high school. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were all these Trenton stories about how girls were watching Sex and the City wherever they were from in a small town or small city. And then going to New York because they wanted to be like Carrie Bradshaw. And I was totally that girl. I thought Sex and the City was the greatest thing of all time. I think there's like a whole wave of of women who like immigrated to New York based off of that show, wanting to live that life. And people probably still are. I know when we write about Sex and the City on Cosmo now, it's still really, really, really popular. Mm-hmm. That it was a really powerful show. I mean, it's not even just a show. It's like a cultural artifact. Um, and I love the book. I think the book is better than the show, um, even though it's very different. I loved Barbara Walters growing up. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned in the book interviewing her when I was a red carpet reporter. Oh, yeah. And she wouldn't take your questions, right? Yeah. She didn't really want to talk to me. Which Ugh, I which I get now, because she didn't want to talk about fashion. It was at a fashion show, a Ralph Lauren fashion show, and like you know, she didn't want to talk about it. But I was obsessed with her. I remember reading Front Row, the Jerry Oppenheimer biography about Anna Wintour, and okay. becoming obsessed with her. I talk about her in the book also. My job interview experience with her, which was very nerve wracking. That was great. I love that. I love I had, that chapter. Thank you, because I had followed her career for you know since I was growing up. So that was a really amazing fifteen minutes for me. Why are people so enamored with her? You know what I think makes Anna Wintour fascinating is. She's an enigma, and she's always been an enigma. And I don't know if it's possible now to be as enigmatic as her and have the fame. People are fascinated with her. She's a celebrity. Um, She's not just a magazine editor, and I think that it's because we don't really hear from her. I don't know if it's possible to be a celebrity and have the influence that she has now with social media, where you kind of have to talk about what you're doing all the time in order for people to know what's going on with you. There's like transparency. There's a million and and one ways to talk to people and connect with people. And you have to do all of them. And she doesn't do that stuff and she'll never have to. So I think she's a really unique celebrity in that way. And I think that's why she's so fascinating. But also, 
you know, what she did for Vogue was amazing. She was so influential in so many ways. And she is such a powerful force in the fashion industry, which Mm -hmm. I think is an industry that a lot of young women aspire to become part of. So I think that's why people are obsessed with her. I mean, she has been for a really long time, too. I think that's a really hard title and, you know, kind of position to maintain at that level for such a long time when, you know, things are, you know, changing every day. Media is a really interesting industry right now because with social media and with technology, it's constantly changing. And people ask me, what is your dream job or where do you see yourself in five years? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, we're on this crazy ride now with social media and Facebook. You know, people are still going to websites, but it seems like we're moving in the direction of putting content into apps. And that's how users are starting to engage with brands. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, we might still be thinking about Facebook as much as we are now in five years. We might be thinking more about other platforms. Something might come along that doesn't even exist yet. Right. It's exciting. It's exciting, yeah. It's also hard because you have to keep up with everything that's going on. And I mean, you know the pace of internet news is really, really fast and really hard. So in addition to keeping up with everything that's going on in the world and everything, you know, Kylie Jenner is doing, which is really important right now. Very important. What's she doing right now? Well, if you follow her on Snapchat, her username is KyLizzleMyNizzle. And I've actually gotten into the habit because I'm so fascinated by her of uh, waking up every morning and I look at my phone and one of the things I go and look at first thing in the morning is her Snapchat story. What does it do for you? Seeing Kylie Jenner's Snapchat story, Mm -hmm. it's like a window into like a fascinating, weird celebrity life, I think. Any celebrity life, I think, is really fascinating. I guess I'm fascinated about what happens to people when they're in the public eye. And I think that's why I've always been so interested in pop culture. What was the path that you wanted to follow? Well, I got to college and... I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I thought that I wanted to be a scientist because I loved science in high school. I loved biology. And I took a chemistry class because that's what you had to do Mm -hmm. to major in biology. And I hated it. It was horrible. And a friend was like, why are you doing this? You don't have to do this anymore. And I was like, that's so true. Why am I taking this class if I don't like it? This is my time to do what I like and figure out what I really want to do. So I thought very practically, you know, I I think a lot of people have a hard time figuring out what they want to do. And I said, you know, like, what are the things I like to do in school? I like researching and I like writing papers. So I was like, journalism, there you go. And I started taking classes on magazine writing and media and I just loved it. So when you're in journalism school, you have to do sample articles and they'll just send you out to do man on the street reporting where you like go to Times Square and ask people how they're feeling about the anniversary of September 11th. I think that was an assignment that I got once in my reporting class. Was that easy for you? Was it easy for you to just go out and talk to strangers? Well, I mean, I had to do it. And I remember my reporting uh, instructor at the time said... If you're shy, you're going to get over it really fast. And I was shy, and I did get over it really fast. Because that's that's what reporting is. It's like going up to random people and talking to people. And I think that now, you know, I see young people starting their careers, and I feel like there's, I don't know, I just wonder if there's less of an emphasis on those kinds of basic skills that you should have as a reporter and a journalist. Mm -hmm. Just being able to go up to someone and interview them about anything at any time. That's really what being a journalist is. I think the emphasis now might be more on blogging or... Lists. Yeah, like pulling photos together or, I don't know, tweeting cool things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the thing that bums me out the most is I feel that websites, a lot of things when people make a point and then they'll be like, 
in Twitter is blowing up about this and they just put like three people's tweets. Like you need like, you know, like when you'd write a book report and you're like, you need three references to prove your point. Yes. It's the same thing with like blog yes. posts. They're like, okay, just so three people felt this doesn't mean that this is a huge thing that everybody, you know, that the, the right. huge sentiment that everybody's feeling. Right. I you think know? that that's really irritating to me. Yeah. And people do that with comments too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's irritating to me also, but those skills are really important. So that's really what I learned at NYU and I joined the school paper. Mm-hmm. I was a reporter for them and then I became a news editor for them. And that was some of the best experience I got starting out in my career because, you know, when you're an editor at the NYU paper, at least at the time, the Washington Square News it's called, and I don't know what it's like now, but you were in there like five days a week. Like you would go in in the afternoon, the late afternoon roughly, and you would stay until the middle of the night. Do you look back on that time fondly? Yeah, I think it was great. It was great experience. It was a lot of work. Yeah. A lot of work. Um, Because you're basically working a full-time job and doing a full load of courses. What was the transition like um, from leaving school and breaking into the world world of paid journalism? Did you have a grand plan of how you were going to do that? No, I had no plan. So I tried an internship in PR, and I didn't like it, partly because the people I was working with were so mean. But I think after the paper, I was like, let me just try this. Let me see if I like it. And I worked for these assholes, and I was like, bye, no thanks. I quit. And then I went back to journalism. So I got an internship at the New York Observer, and... I got a lot of clips there, so that was really great. That helped me to take the next step and, like, sort of put feelers out for freelance work. There weren't as many opportunities to freelance. Like, right now, I think if you're a young person, what's really great about the Internet is that you can create posts for BuzzFeed or Elite Daily or even uh, Hearst sites if you join The Mix, which is our contributor network of of writers who just want to submit stories and um, see if we publish them. And all of this stuff wasn't happening when I was in school. When you were first starting out, was there a specific topic or kind of general area where you're like, I want to work, you know, I want to do this kind of news? I wanted to do content that was for women. And that was kind of as much as I knew. And I was willing to work anywhere, I think, because all they tell you in journalism school is that it's the most competitive industry in the entire world and you're never going to get a job and you're never going to make any money. So I was prepared to do anything. Oh, they tell you that at film school, too. I'm sure. Film school is actually probably harder yeah although now you can make so much internet but it's the same thing it's the same thing right like so there's the internet so there's more opportunities for for your work for creating creating stuff that people can see right so yeah I just knew that I wanted to create content for women but I was really open I I applied to so many things and then you started doing party reporting I started doing party reporting well I started that when I was an intern at the observer Mm -hmm. they gave me a shot and I did well and so they kept sending me out to stuff what were the frustrating moments of of doing that stuff of party reporting yeah the whole thing party reporting is just really have you ever done it I've had to go and shoot events yeah it's probably my least favorite thing it's hard um because you nobody nobody wants much less a recorder in their face than a camera in their face with a light you know I don't know I, I I think that my experience was different when I was doing it I didn't have a hard time getting people to talk to me and I didn't have a hard time getting the material that I needed to get I think it takes a lot of finesse Mm -hmm. figuring out how to approach people when they're at a party because it is a party quite often you're in the penthouse of a hotel and there's celebrities everywhere and you just have to go up to them and have a conversation with them Um, but I think if you approach people tactfully and you steer your questioning the right way you can get really great stuff did you know that was going to be your mo out the gate or did you learn 
that that was the way to do it. I, I learned a lot doing it. Um, I think one of the most common mistakes people make when they're a reporter, not just at a party, but doing anything is they don't ask follow-up questions. So imagine if you were a hugely famous celebrity and I was like, how, how did you decide what, what to wear today? And you were like, oh my God, this old thing, like I just got out of rehab and like I had no idea what to wear and my stylist was over and I was thinking, do I want to wear this Narcisso or this Louboutin shoe? I just have no idea. And then I just threw on this pantsuit and it got stuck in the car on my way here, blah, blah, blah. The next question to ask is rehab. rehab? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what you learn on the job really quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's what distinguishes a great reporter from a mediocre reporter or a bad reporter. Mm-hmm. I got a job offer when I was a party reporter at a fashion blog and I was going to take it. But my mom was like, no, call New York magazine and tell them that you have this offer and see what they say. And I was like, they'll never hire me. Like, there's never any openings there. It's not even worth it. And she's like, trust me, just call them, please. And then you can sign your offer letter and send it back. And I said, okay. So I called my editor and I was like, I have this offer. And she was like, oh my gosh, I hope you can still write for us. And I got off the phone with her. And then the head of the website called me a few minutes later and was like, actually, we're starting a fashion blog and you should try out for it. So I said, great. So I stopped everything I was doing and I worked on the edit test Mm -hmm. and they moved really quickly for me because I had the other offer and they knew I had to get back to them. Um, So then I ended up getting getting the job of being the first fashion blogger at the cut. So if so, when you're like kind of like bouncing around before you ended up at Cosmo, was there ever a time where you felt lost at all? No, I always felt like I knew what I wanted to do and it was being a journalist and working at, at magazines like that. I, you know, from the moment I decided that in college, I just didn't ever waver. You must have questioned yourself at many different junctures. And I then think, yeah, I think it's normal as an editor to question your judgment every single day, many times a day. Mm-hmm. But that's what makes you an editor is that it's your job to make judgment calls and you have to think about what the right one is all the time. And if you're not constantly sort of having that inner debate with yourself about what the best thing to do is then I don't think you're going to be a very good editor. One of the things I like the most about your writing is the honesty and the humor in the way that you write about fashion. And do you think that coming into the fashion world as an outsider allowed that temperament? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I had no concept when I started at the cut of what fashion was and what the industry was actually like. I had a vague notion, but I learned so quickly so much about how the industry actually operates. I think if I understood it more, I, I wouldn't have written about it in the way that I ended up writing about it. It wasn't like this holy thing to you where, you know, you kind of just have to feed into the machine that's already in place. Yeah, it wasn't like blind fashion worship. Right. And I wasn't interested in doing that. And I'm still, with, with covering anything, I'm not interested in doing that. Because otherwise, it's just like you're a fan site you know, and journalism isn't fan writing. It's journalism. You're supposed to be honest. You're supposed to question things. You're supposed to find the most interesting thing about whatever it is you're writing about and explain what that is to your readers. The, the book functions as a, as a guidebook on how things actually work. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way that was the way that I was reading it. Why did you want to tell that story? Well, I think that there's a lot of misconceptions surrounding fashion, don't you? Oh, a ton. You know, I think it's a very mysterious world, a very enigmatic industry. And in order to tell these stories, you have to explain how it works. I really relate to kind of coming into the world of fashion as feeling a bit like an outsider. Do you look back on any missteps you made and wish that you could have done things differently? So I never have any regrets, really. I don't wish that I could have done things differently because if you don't mess up, then you're never going to learn. I'm trying to think if there's anything I would have done differently. I mean, this sounds so arrogant, but no. <laughs> like, I'm so happy okay. with I'm so yeah. happy with my, where my career has taken me. And I'm aware, I try to remind myself every day that I have the most fun job ever. It's like at once intellectually extremely stimulating and challenging every single day. And it's also so fucking fun i just i love the shit out of my job that's great that's the most important thing right yeah i love the title uh, dubiously employed people it's such like a mysterious creature in the fashion world you know who i'm talking about right? oh i totally know who you're talking yeah. about i know exactly who you're talking about there's just there's a lot of people lot like of that people. Well, what do you do what are you doing in the daytime yeah i don't know i mean i assume that they they just freelance on various projects i don't know but it's like they're fashion world famous right and they'll have like a shoe collaboration and be in an ad campaign and like put out a book. But I'm just like, I don't know what, what are you do? What are you doing? It's yeah, so it's like weird. You have so many Instagram followers and I'm fascinated by you, but <laughs> what's your job? I mean, do you think that was kind of, I don't even think that exists in any other profession really. I'm sure it does. A dubiously employed like Wall Street well, banker. you know what I think it is? Oh, well, <laughs> like a du- but you know what I think it is? I think it's. They're professional self-promoters. And you struggled with that a little bit. Yeah, I think self-promotion is tricky, especially for women. And, you know, if you look at research, it shows that women feel uncomfortable with Mm self-promotion. And that's partly because women just personally feel uncomfortable with it. And also because the world is uncomfortable with women self-promoting. And there's this idea in our society that women should be modest and not talk about their accomplishments. And... The reality is that if you want to get ahead in your career, no matter what you're doing, you have to self-promote because the people who are going to get ahead are the people who everyone knows what their accomplishments are. And so, you know, I tell everyone who works with me at Cosmo, Cosmopolitan.com to tweet all the time and share their stories. I mean, get the word out about what you're doing because it really pays off in the long run. And, you know, now I'm promoting a book and it's Promoting a book is really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, you're here because I emailed Leandra, who I am fortunate to consider a friend. Right. And he was so awesome. And I said, hey, my book is coming out. Can you help me? Um, and she did. But, you know, like that's you have to be able to do that stuff. It's just it's just good for your career at the end of the day. Like people need to know what you're doing that's awesome i struggle with self-promotion all the time like i don't even you know tell people when videos i make come out i don't you know it's just there's something what is it that i need to get over because i feel like you have a great point of view on the subject like what is it that you need to get over to kind of you know i feel that i just feel uncomfortable talking about yourself yeah i mean like we got like we're on the front page of like itunes today the podcast section like under oprah and tom green and i just thank you but I feel like there's a part of me that's like, well, I should be blasting this out. But then there's yeah. a part there's a part of me that holds me back. And I, I, I don't know why that is. I mean, everyone has to do what feels right for them. But I know that if you want to get to the next rung in a ladder, I do think it helps to talk about what you're doing and talk about your accomplishments. Because no one else is going to really do it for you. It's true. 
I don't know. I guess I kind of got over the whole self-promotion thing with my book coming out because I had to and I want the book to sell and I want it to be successful. I'm really proud of it. And I don't think there's anything wrong if someone compliments me on Twitter and I want to retweet it and say thank you with like a glitter heart emoji. Of course. You know, like I'm I'm so excited every time anyone says something nice to me on social media. Mm-hmm. I just I'm trying to enjoy it. Oh, that's great. That's great. I love the um, the advice at the end. It's very just like it's very bare bones, direct to the point, honest. You know, and it's just like espouses like things I think that are really, really important that people need to hear all the time. You know, just work hard and get over yourself. I think a lot of people need to hear that kind of advice. That applies to to everything. Yeah, it's really amazing how many people will come late or not finish the job Mm -hmm. or not follow up. Um, And it's like these are it's just like the basic skills that you need to function in a workplace a lot of people don't have particularly and I think now like given that there is so much social media and you know I expect young people who want to work at Cosmo to be on all those platforms and to be kind of obsessed with them because it's so crucial to the idea of creating media for millennial women Mm -hmm. I want them to have a really good understanding of it Um, so there's a lot of pressure to be doing all of that and talking about you know whatever it is you're doing or whatever it is you're interested in And I think it's important to remember that at the end of the day, like you're not there to make a Snapchat story of the cool stuff that you called into the fashion closet. Right. Like you're there to do a job and to impress people. And also, you know, it's like when people give you feedback, say thank you and like smile and that's it. And don't don't argue with it. Like people don't like, you know. And I see this more now that I'm a, a manager, but it's it's hard when you have someone who's argumentative because often I find that argumentative people are not really arguing for a productive reason. Right. You know, it's more about kind of an attitude thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's just like push that stuff aside when you get to work and like have your attitude when you get home and you're having a glass of wine. Yeah. No, I love that. I really, really loved it. How do you see yourself in the fashion world? I don't know. I feel like a nobody in the fashion world. I feel like, you know, it's called Tales from the Back Row, and I still feel like that. But you get to sit at the front row now. Not always. I think occasionally I'll get a front row seat, and those are the shows I always really want to go to because it's so fun to be in the front row. I mean, I love fashion, and I love going to fashion shows, and there is such a thrill to sitting in the front row. It's like if you get upgraded on a flight and you get to sit in first class, like, that's such a great feeling. What are the tough moments of trying to make it as a writer? Oh, my God. Writing is the hardest thing in the entire world. Um, Just like staring at a blank page and knowing you have to fill it up with words. Writing something you hate and deleting it and starting again. Um, when you get an edit note back and you don't, you can't think of a single way to address it. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, because the book is a humor book, making it funny it's is torture. I can't even say. It's so hard to write a funny book. Like Sometimes it just flows out of your brain and it's like you didn't even try and then there are other days when you're writing something and you're like this is boring I hate this and then I make my husband read it over and over again and I'm like is this funny do I need to make it funnier because nothing makes people be more in the mood for humor than being like hey is this funny when they have to read it under that guise right but when you marry someone they have to um, answer your question of course but I think humor writing is so hard I don't it's just hard it is it's a hard thing to do well there's a lot of people out there who have dreams of being a writer and it's not some. I mean, it's something that anybody could do if they wanted to. All you need to do is just put words down on a page. Right. But a lot of people don't because it's really hard. 
it's hard to do it well. I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of self-doubt as a writer. A lot. Um, like, I always think that what I did could be better. Well, what inspires you to keep moving forward? And what drives you? Yeah, I think it's such a challenge. And the most inspiring thing to me is just reading. I read as much as I can. Um, whether it's a website or the New York Times or the New Yorker or Cosmo, a David Foster Wallace book that I haven't picked up in two years. Mm-hmm. You know, I just read everything I can. And I, you know, when I'm writing and I feel like I don't know what to say or it's just not coming out right, I'll pick up Chelsea Handler or David Sedaris or David Foster Wallace or another writer who I really like, Tina Fey, um, Mindy Kaling, and I'll, I'll read until I feel inspired and then go back to what I'm doing. How do you see that things are changing and how do you want to be involved in that change? What things? The way that people get their media, the way that it reaches people, the, the best way to, to connect with people. Yeah, that's such a great question. I don't think we really know where media is going and, you know, in the next 10 years, I think we'll see. I'm, from what I see now in my seat at cosmopolitan.com uh i see that we are creating more content to post directly to apps Mm -hmm. for instance we're on snapchat discover which is a channel on snapchat and we basically produce an online magazine for snapchat every day and it goes away and then we do another one the next day wow so that's one thing that we're doing and those articles are articles from the site and videos from the site uh, and, you know, Facebook Instant, where you publish articles directly to Facebook is something that we're going to start doing, too. So I see that happening more and more. Mm-hmm. Instead of funneling your content into one channel, which is a website, mm-hmm. having to think more about if that funnel was a tributary and there were, you know, you're having to put in a lot of different funnels. I think the one thing that will not change, no matter where you're putting your content, if you're putting it into different apps uh, or you're putting it on a website, wherever you're trying to get people to consume it, one thing that will not change is that on the internet, we have to work really hard to bring the reader into the experience. You know, if I've sold you a book, I've sold you the book, and you're, you're going to sit down with that book, and you're going to be in the experience. Right. But for a website, and especially with social media, and my audience of millennial women is on social media all the time, we're kind of working all day to say, hey, us over here, we have something that you, you'll like, um, working to get them to come to us. Right. Because when they open their phone or um, open their phone. What is this? 1990? <laughs> they um, open their flip phone. They open their... <laughs> when they turn on their <laughs> phone and they're looking for something to read, I don't have any guarantee that they're going to just come to Cosmo and stay there. And they could come to Cosmo through our app, Cosmo Now, um, and they could read an article and then they could click on a link that we put in the article and then leave the article and then end up on that other site. Then they might go back to Facebook. They might see a Cosmo article. Maybe I've got their attention. Maybe it can bring them back over. Right. But that's that's what we're having to do is is find ways to bring people into the experience. And how's that been so far? How are you feeling about well, it? Well, I feel great about it because when I started, the site was fourth the size. We our biggest month since I've been here recently. We hit uh, using our internal metrics like thirty seven point two million unique visitors which is really big oh it's amazing so i think what we're doing is working Mm -hmm. um and the the women on my team who do social media are so awesome they work so hard and they're so good at what they do and they're so good at at building a community around the site and the content and i think that that's why we've been successful where where do you want to go what do you want to do with all this 
Yeah, so I want people to buy my book. It sounds so lame to say, um, but I want people to, to buy it. And then I want people to find me on social media and tell me what they think. And I don't care if people hate it. Like, I want to I want to hear honestly what people think. I you hope enjoy people, that dialogue. I hope people like it, but I want to know. You know, I read... Um, I've been reading reviews on book blogs and one person said uh, that one of the chapters was slow. And I was like, oh, you know, I had doubts about that. <laughs> I don't know. I just I want the feedback and um, I'm not going to read the reviews because it's going to drive me crazy. Don't. It's a dark path. Like, don't like go Amazon down reviews, it. But um, don't go down. it. I, I have a moratorium on YouTube comments. I won't read them. Yeah. I just I can't do it. Yeah. I can't it's do it. It's just people working out their own problems like in your space. Yeah, people are really mean because they don't think of you as a person. They think of you as an interface. No. You know? But yeah, I want people to, to get the book and I want to take the book as as far as it can possibly go. I'm really excited that I've been talking about it a lot. Like you're here, we're doing yeah. a podcast. Um, very professional. Look yeah, at all this stuff. In our soundproof Cosmos studio. Yeah, this is great. But yeah, I want people to to get the book and I'd love to hear, you know, feedback from from people and and just know like honestly what they think. And you know, I want to grow Cosmo. I want to keep growing Cosmo and I'm really excited about where we're going. I'm excited about what we're doing on Snapchat Discover as I said. I'm super mm-hmm. excited about video. We're working on building out a video studio. The election is around the corner. I'm excited about covering that. Um, so there's a it's lot. It's going to be a very interesting one. I have a feeling. I think it's fascinating. Yes. You know, I mean, it's a historic race with Hillary running. Um, so it'll be really, really interesting to cover. So what's next? I mean, I know we talked a little bit about like what you want to go, but like what's actually next? Are you, are you going to write it's an, do you have next. plans for? God, you know, I, um, I have a nephew. He's turning one. I'm so excited. I'm mm-hmm. going to his first birthday party this weekend. It'll be like a good dose of reality after the book coming out Definitely. and being in this uh, sort of hyper accelerated fashion world. I have a talk also at Powerhouse in Dumbo. I don't know oh, if it's, it's going to air before then. When is that? September 9th. Um, what is next? I think that's, that's on Wednesday. Yeah, it'll air before that. Oh, awesome. So come to... Come to Powerhouse in Dumbo in New York. I'm going to be doing a conversation about the book and uh, doing a signing. Um, what else is coming up that I can talk about? The VMAs are behind us. Thank God. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Well, what's next? I mean, today's Tuesday. Tomorrow's Wednesday. I'm, I'm going to be at Cosmo for a while. So check out Cosmopolitan.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat Discover, Snapchat Non-Discover, Instagram. Do you have a Tumblr? Tumblr. This is like a contest to see who can <laughs> name the most social networks. Vine. Yeah. Okay, well, I think that's a great place YouTube. to end it. Yeah. YouTube, yes, of course. Amy O'Dell, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me.